Welcome, and thank you for joining us for the City Baptist Church Podcast. We would love to have you join us for a service in person. You can find all the information you need on our website at citybaptist.church. We're going to continue our series, Strangers and Pilgrims, a verse-by-verse study through the book of 1 Peter. And I want to encourage you uh, with this thought this morning as we begin, right at the very beginning, I want to remind us of the fact that Peter... The apostle, the one who had spent time with Jesus Christ, the one who had seen him face to face, the one who had denied him, been restored to him. It is Peter who is speaking to us, and he's challenging us about the eternal hope of the salvation that is found in Jesus Christ our Lord. And the challenges that he is making to us, I think for all of us, we would consider them to be bold challenges. Because the very salvation that Peter is encouraging us to reflect on and have our hope on is the very same salvation that many of these people are are scattered because of. Think about that for a moment. The reason, the, the, the salvation that we are to hope for and to hold on to is the very same thing that causes us to be strangers and pilgrims in this life. And so it really is a bold challenge that he makes to us But yet at the same time, it's bold, but it's also true. And it's exactly what we as believers need to be holding on to as we live in this world and we live in this sinful world, that we hold on to our salvation. And the foundation that Peter is laying here is an important foundation for us because it is something that every single Christian and every single generation needs to assure themselves of, and that is the fact that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners of whom we are certainly a part of that. And so today we are thankful that we have our salvation. It is our sufficiency. It is our wealth. It is our joy. It is not in this world. It is not in the things that we may try to gather up here in this place. And Peter is trying to encourage us with that. And it's important for him to really lead his letter with that. The first 12 verses that we've covered, he's talked so much about our salvation and the strength that we have in Jesus Christ. And it's important that he started that way because now what we're going to see is we transition as a, as, as a study. We're transitioning now from the foundation of our salvation to now transitioning into how to practically live in the fallen and broken world that we are in. See, this is what I love is that God doesn't just say, hey, hope for salvation to come. I'll see you on the other side. He gives us practical things. He gives us real, uh, real steps to take to live in this broken world. Because you know what? God doesn't want us to suffer and struggle along in this world. Yes, that is part of life. He recognized that. But God doesn't want us just to wander around wondering what it is that we're supposed to do. God gives us clarity. And I just want to give God a little bit of praise this morning and thank him for the fact that God gives us clarity. And you know what? In your heart, you should be thankful for that as well. I think as a church this morning, I think we should all just say amen. All right. All right. That's good. Let's try it again. Ready? Okay, that's great. That's good. That means I agree because that's a good thing to think about because we need to just praise God for that. The fact that God gives us clarity and gives us focus. And and I'm so thankful that he does that because he wants us to live life with joy securely founded upon his grace. Now, Peter does a great job of locking down our salvation in those first 12 verses. He does a great job of reminding us. And I hope that if, if you've been coming and you've been listening and you've been watching this series with us, that you would recognize the importance of your salvation. And I would ask, and I hope that if you're not saved, that you would put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But now we're gonna transition to what we call the nitty-gritty of the Christian life, the nuts and bolts, the, uh, the, the things that we really need to focus on that help us with the calling and the direction that God has given to us. 
I think if you're the kind of person who's ever asked, how do I move forward in the Christian life? This message is for you. If you've ever been the kind of person who's ever asked, how do I get past my past? These are the things that we need to focus on. If you're the kind of person who says, how can I live a life that is pleasing to the Lord? Well, the next several messages that we're going to be walking through here in 1 Peter are going to give us the answers to that. And so I hope that you'll narrow in on that. I hope that you'll be here for all of the messages. I hope that you'll really focus in and allow the Lord to speak to you through these because these are the practical aspects of Christian living that can radically transform the way you approach life and the way that you live life, honestly. It can change it in so many ways. And so Peter begins, and we'll begin in verse number 13 this morning, but he begins by encouraging us. He says, because of your salvation now, there's some things uh, that we need to pursue if we're going to really understand what it means to live as strangers and pilgrims. And the first one that he gives to us here is that he encourages us to prepare your mind, all right? He needs to prepare your mind. If you're going to head into this life as a stranger and as a pilgrim, uh, confident of your salvation, you need to prepare your mind. Look with me at verse number 13. He says, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The first step of action here is that he wants us to gird up the loins of our mind. Now, that's an interesting description of our minds, isn't it? To say you need to gird up the loins of your mind. And I want to give us some context because, honestly, to us, that sounds very strange to us, doesn't it? You know, we say, all right, come on now, gird up your loins, boys. Like, that just sounds kind of odd to us. Now, I want to explain what that is. And so to help illustrate that for us, Lex is going to help me out. So Lex, come on up here and bring up one of those and so I want to just sort of illustrate a couple of things. So Lex, come on right up here with me. He's, he's agreed to do this. So this is with his, his permission, all right? So I want you to go ahead and put that robe on for me. Can you do that? It doesn't matter if it's backwards or not, but I want you to put that robe on, okay? So we want to understand what it means to gird up the loins of our mind. So we understand that in that day, regardless of who you were, more than likely, most people always wore long flowing robes. Now, they weren't shiny or satin like this uh, at all, but you understand in biblical times, that's how it was. And so obviously, anyone who's tried to do a sport uh, in a robe um, or, or, or a skirt, you understand the difficulty of movement that comes about. And so for Lex, if you know he's got his Jordans on, and so if we're like, hey, Lex, let's play some basketball basketball, you know, he more than likely would not put this on, I don't, I don't think. He looks like he's ready to sing us a song, though, doesn't he? A nice choir song. And uh, he's, he's, he told me he's got a song in his heart today, so he's ready to go. Um, but obviously, he, you wouldn't put this on and, you know, try to go do any sort of, you know, if I would say, hey, Lex, I need somebody to come up to the church and rake all the leaves out back, he wouldn't show up wearing this. I, I definitely don't believe that. And so in scripture, though, I mean, this is the common dress of the day. And everybody, uh, male, female, wore these robes. And, and, and there were certain levels and thicknesses and different kinds and colors. Uh, a lot of it was some classism and status and all of that. But basically what Peter is saying to his, the people who would understand, when he says to gird up the loins of your mind, he's referring to the idea of what they would call to gird up their loins, which would be basically if you're wearing a robe like this, Lex is going to kind of show us a little bit. I don't know if that's actually going to work or not. It's not that big and flowing enough, but it's the idea basically of, here, I won't, you can do it. Kind of just pull them up a bit. Basically it's the idea of taking up the robe, okay, and tucking it into like a big belt right around your waist. Now they would be, yeah, there you go, that's kind of, now he's ready to play basketball, right? Wouldn't you say he's ready to go? And it's the idea of getting yourself prepared 
So you would, you would get your robe and you would kind of tuck it. And they had this whole, this whole thing, right? They would tuck it all in and everything. And then they were ready. Then they were prepared for action. They were prepared for labor. They were prepared to run. They were prepared to do, you know, uh, it, when they would go into battle, that's what they would do. They'd have this whole thing kind of in this big belt, this girdle that would be around them. And it would hold all their robes in place so that they'd be ready for action. They'd be ready to go. Okay, so here's what Peter is trying to say to us. He's saying, listen, with your mind, you need to gather up all the distraction, distractions that are out there that are in your mind, and you need to get them under control, or you need to prepare your mind in such a way that you're ready for action. Now, in the context of Christianity, what that means for us is that we need to be people who are preparing our minds and getting our minds to a place where we're ready for action, where we're ready for service, where we're ready for God to use us. But there's a problem that comes into many of our lives is that we have so many other things in our life. We have so many other things in our minds that restrict us from being able to get ready for God to use us. So Maximus, why don't you hand him another one? Why don't you put another one on? Listen, this is how we often, this is how our minds are. So oftentimes we have so much on our mind. Maybe I'll, let's let this robe, this robe can represent fears. Fears that we have that just, there's so many things that we're afraid of, right? And we struggle with them and, and we're afraid. I mean, there's just so much in our life where how, how is there things going to turn out? What are my children going to be like? Uh, what's going to happen next month? What's going to happen with this thing? And so we have all these fears and it just sort of adds to that layer. Give them another one. Put another one on here. Let's go. You, we'll just, uh, just put them all on. Let's do that. Uh, for some of us, it's, it's things like uh, our minds are so full of sinful desires, and, our, and we're just constantly living in lust, and we're constantly struggling with uh, battling uh, the sinful uh, desires of our flesh, and just that's all we're thinking about, and it's constantly overwhelming us. And then uh, there's things like uh, just selfish motivations, like we are desiring, you know, we can't wait for personal, like all we're doing is pursuing personal gain, and uh, we're trying other uh, things to, uh, in our life to try to, you know, push us to the next level, whether it's our finances or whatever it may be, and there's all of these things that are in our minds and, and constantly over us, and the the point I'm trying to make, and the reason I'm having him do this, I hope that you can visualize it, is that the more things that are constantly on your mind that you're unwilling to put aside, it makes it a lot more difficult to gird up the loins of your mind. Does that make sense? It makes it a lot more difficult to prepare your mind and, and as a result, your heart for God to use us. And so what happens is that we get so many things that are on our mind and so many things. And, and I think you guys recognize that really the big battle in the Christian life is a battle for the mind, isn't it? And we have this struggle, and it's constantly around us, and all of these things. And the more that we add on, though, the more difficult it is. Now, I, I, I'm not going to race him around the auditorium or anything, but I have a feeling he's faster than me, but I think I might be able to beat him, actually, at this point, because he's got enough stuff weighing him down. And the point being is that we, as Christians, the more things that we just continually load on our mind, and let's say it's sinful or fear or whatever, and we don't get it right with God, the more difficult it is for us to prepare ourselves for God to use us. Thank you, Lex. Thanks, Max. You guys can sit down. He has to stay in at the rest of the service. I'm joking. <laughs> he asked me, he said, do I have to wear it the rest of the service? No, of course not. He'll, uh, <laughs> he'll take them all off. That's good. He's getting his mind ready. I like it. That's good. I think you guys understand the point. That the point is that we need to get our minds ready. It takes work, though, doesn't it? It takes focus. It takes a willingness in all of us to lay aside the things that might be holding us back and to get our minds focused on the right things. 
I think of Philippians chapter four, verse eight, that says, whatsoever brethren, or finally brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest or just or pure, whatsoever things are lovely, a good report, virtue, if there be any praise, he says, think on these things. These are the things that our minds should be focused on as a Christian. And I'll tell you what, if your minds are focused on these things, you're gonna be ready for the Lord to use you. Notice how clearly it says that we are not allowed, or we are not to allow our thoughts to roam. We're not to allow our thoughts to go and harbor uh, things that uh, reflect the world all around us. We're to focus our thoughts on things that are virtuous, things that bring praise to God. We're not to allow our minds to be on things that would tear down our moral fiber. Scripture is even more clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. It says, For we walk in the flesh. Um, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are carnal, uh, are, not, are ca- not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. See, the spiritual warfare that you and I are in and constantly battling is a warfare that causes us and God calls us to be diligent to cast down imaginations in our mind. You ever imagined something that just wasn't true, but yet you allowed this thing that you imagined in your mind to transform your thoughts about or towards somebody or about a situation? And I have. I've allowed my mind to, uh, to build scenarios and situations about different aspects of life that frankly were not true, but it affected me. And I'm to cast those things aside if it's not based off of truth and of virtue. We're to cast down anything as well that might exalt itself against the knowledge of God. Have you ever allowed your mind to go places and to desire things that go against the truth of the word of God? I know I have. <laughs> I know I've allowed my mind to go to places that uh, I know that uh, would be in direct disobedience to a person who knows Jesus Christ. Even in things, even if it's just like uh, desiring things that are not necessarily sinful, but it's become the focus of my life in such a way that it does, re- it does withhold, it withholds me from pursuing Christ as I should. And I love how he says at the end of the verse to bring into captivity every thought. The idea is that we would bring every thought that we have and it would be captivated to Jesus Christ. Now, for some of us, including myself, it's kind of hard to imagine, isn't it? When I sit here and I think like, man, how how great would it be if I could bring all of my thoughts to captivity around Christ? How great would that be? But you know what? God doesn't ask us to do things that we can't do. Because he's given us the strength and the power to do it. And so he's saying, this is my desire for you. This is what I want you to do. And that means that we can do it. And so we need to make this our focus. Because if we do not make our, our minds a focus, what we are doing then is we're basically doing the opposite of it. We're doing what we saw here with Lex. We're just adding more things to it, making it more difficult for us. It could be that for some of you, your spiritual life right now is kind of slow. Maybe your spiritual life, maybe you're lacking victory in your life right now. Maybe it is that you lack a desire to serve. Maybe you're struggling to be faithful to the house of God and faithful to the things of God. I really believe that it might be because you have too many things on your mind that are keeping you away from the things of God. And I want to encourage you today to free your minds from the bondage of that sin to maybe confess it if it is sin, or at least get your priorities where they need to be Focus on Christ, off of ourselves, free in Christ and the hope of our salvation. And we need to prepare our minds in that way. 
I find sometimes in my own life when I don't have a desire to serve the Lord or I have a desire, man, I struggle with being in, in, uh, uh, being in church even sometimes. Yeah, pastors sometimes feel that way. Sometimes we're like, I don't know if I want to go today. You know, wake up. Oh, no, it's Sunday. <laughs> I don't have the luxury, by the way, of not coming <laughs> most of the time. Uh, uh, but I need, so what do I do? I got to get my heart right and I got to get my mind right. And, and that's how all of us should operate. Even if we've had a rough week and we've had a tiring time or maybe the schedules are not lining up as they should, we need to keep our minds focused where they need to be and get back to having our thoughts in the right place. We must prepare our minds And then he gives us some instruction here at the end of the verse to help us do that. He says, gird up the loins of your mind. And then he says this, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What does he mean here? Well, he uses this word sober, uh, which means two things in scripture. It means to not be intoxicated uh, with drugs or alcohol of any kind, specifically has the aspect of alcohol today. Of course, we would apply that uh, to drugs as well. And he says that we should not allow ourselves, we should not be people that are intoxicated in that way. And then he says, or the second definition of that word means to be sober in our mind and behavior. That means to Controlled in all things, not given over to indulgences or to extravagance. It's the opposite of indulging in things. Now, we can, we can name any number of things today that we often indulge in in an improper way, that we maybe allow ourselves to go after and pursue maybe in certain ways. But he's saying here that we need to be sober people. That means we need to be self-controlled. Ultimately, what it means is to have a self-controlled life. So he says, one of the ways that you can help get your mind ready is by living a life. Even if you desire to have a controlled mind, but you live wildly and, extre- you know, and, and indulge in any sort of fleshly things or indulge in whatever it is that the world is promoting at the time, you're going to have a very hard time getting your mind to where it needs to be. Does that make sense? So these things all come together here. He says, you need to be sober-minded. You need to be self-controlled. And again, this is the opposite of what the world promotes to us, doesn't it? The world promotes extravagance. The world promotes, you know, treat yourself, right? The world uh, promotes just, you know, you got to take care of yourself and do all of these things that are, that are out there. But we are not of this world. We're a separate people. We are uh, chosen by God. And we're not to be live, live our lives in the pursuit of worldly pleasures. You say, man, pastor, you just want me to sit around and be bored all day? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Man, if you know me, you know that I love life. (laughs) You know that I have a great time and I enjoy a lot of things of this life. There's a lot of great things that we can enjoy, but I don't have to be consumed by those things. That's the point here. The idea of indulgences and intoxication is to like make that, I mean, that's everything to me. Now, some of you understand this better than others. Many of you have lived a lot of your life or a great portion of your life pursuing the pleasures of this world. Many of you here lived your life for many years intoxicated by the world's substances, intoxicated by the world's extravagance. And in the end, and one of the reasons that you're here today is because in the end, what did you discover? You discovered that it can never satisfy and it can never fill the longing of your soul. Many of you have shared your testimonies with me, and I'm so thankful for that. And God has just, man, just poured out his blessing and his grace on your life that you're here today. And I'm so thankful for that. But you could stand up here today and say, yeah, pastor, what pastor's saying is right. Because I've tried it. I've pursued it. It's so ironic to me that sometimes people who grew up in church who never were exposed to things all of a sudden desire the world so much because they think that they're missing out on something. But if you bring somebody who lived their life in the world pursuing those things, they'll stand up here and say, listen, it's not worth it because it does not satisfy. 
It does not satisfy what you're pursuing. And so you came to Christ and you learn, as the verse says here, the hope for the grace of your coming salvation, the eternal life that is found in Jesus Christ. And it brought peace to your soul. But sometimes we lose sight of that fact, don't we, as Christians? And so we must be reminded to get our minds, to get our thoughts back into control. Maybe you've allowed your thoughts to be where they shouldn't. Maybe you've been allowing your mind and your thoughts and your pursuits and the extravagance and the things that you're pursuing, the indulgences, have kept you from even faithfulness, have kept you from being true to what God has led you to do or being faithful to uh, the things that God has called us to. See, the believer is to live a well-balanced, self-controlled life with focus. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. God is trying to teach us how to live a balanced, fulfilled Christian life. And this is one of the ways is to get our mind under control. And so I want to ask you this morning, would you simply return to being a self-controlled, mind-prepared person? Not mind-controlled. Did you notice I didn't say that? All right. Self-controlled mind, uh, with your mind focused on the right things, pursuing God. We're to be sober, solid, and steady, keeping all of the things of life in their proper place. The answer that you are seeking to grow in your walk with God, the answer that you are seeking to be fulfilled is found in preparing your mind, preparing your mind. But secondly, in our passage in verse number 14, he encourages us to walk in obedience. He says, first of all, you need to prepare your mind. Now, these things all kind of flow together, right? You prepare your mind so that you can then walk in obedience. Look what he says in verse 14. I love this. He says, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. Now, the phrase here that he calls, he says, obedient children. One thing I want you to notice right at the very beginning, this is the idea of family connection to God the Father, okay? We are his children, and we can thank him for that. So there's that family connection. So keep that in your mind. But the word here, obedient children, literally means the children of obedience. Children of obedience. Here's what it means. It means that believers are to be so obedient to God that our obedience to Christ becomes the defining basic characteristic of who we are. Now that's big. That's big right there. He says it should be the defining characteristic. It is something that is so much a part of who we are that we then can be named and called the children of obedience. Not obedient children, but children of obedience. Like that's a definer of who we are. Now, this is in stark contrast to what Peter described us before. Did you see there in the rest of the verse? He says, not fashioning yourselves. You know that word fashioning means? It means conforming yourself. So we're to be children of obedience, not conforming ourselves according to our former lust. Did you see that there? Now, this is a big contrast. He says to be children of obedience, defined by our obedience, not defined by how we used to be, not defined by what we used to pursue. And who were we before? We were children of our lusts, weren't we? Before Christ, we were children that were defined by the things that we pursued of, given to uh, the desires that we pursued. And in so doing, what would we be called then? We would be called the children of disobedience. It reminds me of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, where uh, uh, Paul said, wherein in time past, now here's the key, he says, in the past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So there's the contrast here. Paul talked about how in the past we were uh, the children of disobedience, but now Peter says now in Christ, 
Because of who, who he is and what he has done, we now can be children of obedience. There's a complete change in our characteristics, a complete change in our definition and how we are defined. And this is what Christ wants us to be. He wants us to live as children of obedience, not how we were before. And notice there at the end of the verse, I want you to look back at verse 14. He says, according to the former lusts, in your, say that word with me, ignorance. Now, this is interesting right here. Is God calling us ignorant? Maybe. <laughs> is he calling us ignorant? You're like, I don't know. Is, he, is God calling me a name here? No, no. What is he saying? He's saying that the former way that we lived, well, here's what he's saying. He's saying that as obedient children, if you still live as disobedient children, that is living in ignorance. I'm going to help you understand that here because I, I had to really spend some time with this. This is important. We are, to, we are to be children of obedience, but if we live according to our former lusts as children of disobedience, this is an ignorant way to live your life. You say, what does he mean by that? Why would he say, how is that ignorant? Well, it's ignorant because we have the grace of God to live differently. So here's what it is. He's, he's saying it's an ignorant way to live. It's not a wise way to live because we have the power of Christ in us. And so if we have the power of Christ in us, yet we still live according to our former lusts, that's an ignorant way to live your life. It means that you don't truly understand and, and you've not really grasped the greatness of your God. You have not really grasped the change that can happen in us. And ignorance, and I believe even misunderstanding sometimes, is at the heart of a person that lives in a worldly and sinful and carnal way. Now, the Apostle Paul talked about this a lot in the book of Romans. He talked about uh, uh, it, well, earlier in the book, he talked about sin and salvation, of course. But then later on in the book, he uses a bunch of words like, um, he, he says things like, ye know not, or knowing this, or uh, we know these things. In other words, what Peter, uh, Paul is trying to get across to us in the book of Romans is that he's trying to say, listen, you don't have to live ignorant to the means of grace that is given to you. So Peter's just basically building off of what Paul had already said. Paul says, uh, you know that you don't have to live in that way anymore. You don't have to live according to the lust of the flesh. You don't have to live in that way. And he says, instead, don't be ignorant of what God has done for you. And so live according to the things that God has given to you. Uh, uh, live according to the grace that God has given to us. Because God has given us so much grace, church family. He's given us grace to overcome the lure of the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lies of the devil. Man, I'm so thankful for that. The New Testament, all throughout the New Testament, what do we see? We see how much it talks about the new life that is found in Jesus Christ. It talks about the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. It talks about the principle of the exchanged life and the fact that we have a very unique position in Jesus Christ, the cleansing power of his blood and the work that he does on our behalf every single moment of every single day that he does for us as his children. And so don't live ignorantly according to your former life. You've already tried that, by the way. You've already tried that. Don't live that way any longer. Live defined as children of obedience. One author put it this way. I thought he, he just put it so well. He says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much they make of the thought of being God's child and having God as their father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls their worship and prayers and their outlook on life, it means that they, that they do not understand Christianity very well at all. 
Because everything that Christ taught, everything that is distinctively Christian is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God, knowing God as our father. Father is the Christian name for God. The point that he's trying to make that I thought he said so well is that the way we live our life, the answer to being a child of obedience is that we live in the knowledge of our heavenly father. We live in the knowledge of the grace of God, the power of the Holy Spirit that works through us to live in victory over our former ways. It is then that we can say with Paul in Ephesians 5, where he says, ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Man, I love the transitions that we see in scripture. And he says, this is who you were, but this is who you are now. This is what you once were called, but this is who you are. This is what you can be called right now. And the difference maker is in the cross. The difference maker is in the grace of Jesus Christ. But we have to make that a focus point. That has to be our thought to be the child of obedience. And so if we are gonna be people who live and proclaim Christ as strangers and pilgrims in this difficult world, we cannot live according to our old ways any longer. We must be defined first and foremost as children of obedience, he says. Be obedient children, willfully submitting ourselves, bringing ourselves under the authority of Jesus Christ and submitting ourselves to him and his plan and his directions for us. And so Peter here is talking about how we as Christians can step away from just having a hope of our salvation to now putting it in practice in our daily life. And we do that by preparing our mind and also by walking in obedience. But finally, we see in this passage here, the call to pursue holiness. A call to pursue holiness. Look at verse 15 and 16. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That's our conduct. Because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. The final encouragement that we see here is that holiness should be the highest pursuit of the Christian. Holiness should be the highest pursuit of the Christian. Now, what is meant here by the term holiness? Well, holy, hegios is the Greek word. It means to be righteous, pure, sinless, and godly. It means to be perfect, to be complete, to be fulfilled in every possible sense, to be separated and entirely different from all other beings and things. Now, that describes God, doesn't it? <laughs> That's a long definition, by the way. That describes God for us. And I know as we're reading it, we're like, okay, wait a minute. Didn't he just say, be holy? I can't do any of those things. I cannot be perfect. I cannot be sinless. I cannot be all of these things. And I recognize that. But this isn't a description for us of God, right? Because he is the ultimate goal. Holiness and God is the perfect picture of holiness. Here's what it means for us. God's holiness is what separates him from sin and from evil. And holy is present throughout any description of, God, a description of God's character because God is holy. He is the opposite of anything that would not be sacred. And we understand that about God, but what I have a hard time understanding, what I have a hard time working through is how God, we know is holy and we can understand what that means, but he also says, I want you to be holy as well. He wants me to be holy as well. That's a hard thing to understand. So I want to take a, a shot at that and help us to understand what this really means. What it means when he says to be holy in all manner of conversation, that means we are to be holy in all of our conduct. And he always uses that definer, all. That means all, okay? In every aspect of our conduct, we are to be and pursuing holiness. That means totally devoted, totally dedicated to God. It means that we are set 
aside for his special use. We are set apart. We are sanctified from sin and its influence over us. And we know that, right? Scripture says that you are, if you are dead to sin, then you should live no longer in it. We know that. Like the, the fact that we are dead to sin, if you're in Christ, alive in Christ, dead to sin, that's it. You're dead to sin. We know that. The hard part is living in that truth, isn't it? Living uh, how we should. See, here's the point. God, our holy God, expects us to imitate him by making our life that is marked by high, moral, holy standards. You say, how is this possible? Well, again, it comes back to our salvation again. Romans chapter number three, verse 24 through 26, it says, being justified, that means as if we did not sin, freely, how? By his grace, through the redemption that it is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past, through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. This passage here teaches us that we are justified because of Jesus Christ, what he has done and his grace. Meaning when God sees us and sees us in Christ, it's as if we had never sinned. That's how God looks at you. That's not how we look at ourselves, is it? We only look at ourselves in our sin. But God looks at us justified. Now, here's the whole thought here. Because we are saved, we have already been declared holy because of our faith in Jesus Christ. But we're trapped in these sinful bodies still. We're trapped in this sinful world. And so we must still work out that divine family likeness in our day-by-day walk and our day-by-day behavior and our day-by-day conduct. We cannot be holy on our own, but God has given us his Holy Spirit to help us with that. You will never achieve perfect holiness in this life. And so Peter here is saying to us that all parts of our lives and all parts of our character should be in a continual process of being conformed, of being changed both inwardly and outwardly to the image of Jesus Christ, to God's holy standards. The problem is, is that we know it and it feels so far out of reach so that we never actually pursue holiness. And that's what happens to the Christian. We know what we should be going for, but we get so discouraged and we feel so down and we're like, I don't know if I can do it. And so we stop pursuing holiness altogether. But that is not the mindset of a Christian. There should be a constant pursuit of holiness. Just because God himself is holy does not mean that we do not pursue it. We are his children. We're to pursue Christ's likeness. You know, for my boys, I want, I want my boys to be good students. All parents should want that. You know, I think, you know, I want my kids to be good students. I do. And I tell them that. But even if I tell them to be good students, so if I say, if I line up all four boys, I'm like, be a good student in school. And if they all said, yes, dad, we will be good students in school. Even if they took it to heart and said, yes, I'm going to be a good student. Does not mean that when they get there to school at at 9 a.m. that they're automatically a good student, doesn't it? Of course, I wish. (laughs) I wish. I wish. No, no, it doesn't mean that. What does it mean? It means that when they get to school, they still have to work, don't they? (laughs) They still have to focus. It's not enough for them to say, I told dad I'm going to be a good student. Therefore, I'm a good student. No, no, no. They have to work at it. They have to focus at it. They have to study. There has to be some forward progress. And this is the pursuit of holiness in the Christian life. God calls us to be holy because he is holy. He wants us to be like him. That is the goal. And it's a lifetime goal that we must pursue. 
It's a lifetime of growth. It's a lifetime of following after him, of learning his ways, of knowing his heart, of listening to his voice, recognizing my calling, being set apart for God's purpose in this world. And each day we must have an understanding that I'm set apart for God first and foremost above everything else. And therefore I should be pursuing a life of holiness because God is holy. I think all of us should wake up each day and have the prayer in our heart saying, Lord, today I set aside my eyes and my mind for you. Today, Lord, I set apart my ears and my attitudes and my goals and my passions and my motives and my discipline and in each and every area of my life. Today, Lord, I set it apart to you as Lord over my life and I declare and I desire and I pursue your holiness in my heart. Every one of us as believers should wake up with that desire to pursue holiness because God wants us to be holy even as he is holy. I really believe if we start our day in this consciousness some amazing things will happen. First of all, the world will not seem as attractive as it once did. Hey, that's okay, by the way. <laughs> that's okay. Sin will repulse you. And the pursuit of holiness will become your ultimate goal. If you can learn to simply wake up each day and pray that prayer in your heart and say, God, today I'm going to pursue you above anything else. It can radically transform who you are. Notice there in verse 16, he says, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Peter here is confirming his words by quoting the Old Testament, Leviticus 11, Leviticus 19, Leviticus chapter 20. Now we know that originally all of these commands, of course, applied to the Jews, specifically to them. But here, what is Peter doing? He's transitioning it now to the New Testament and he's applying it to all Christians. And he's saying, listen, God declares because he is holy. So we as his children must pursue holiness as well. You know, to live as strangers and pilgrims in this world, it takes some focus, doesn't it? It takes obedience. It takes the pursuit of holiness. But here's what I want to ask you this morning. Is there a better pursuit? Is there something better in this world that you can pursue that you can say that is better than the holiness of God? Come to me after the service if you've got one. <laughs> I'd like to know. Because I think we understand that the answer to anything that this world has to offer that we would consider to be a better pursuit than the holiness of God and pursuing holiness in our life, we would say, eh, it doesn't quite add up, does it? Because we are to be people who pursue the holiness of God. There is no higher calling than to walk with Jesus Christ. There's no higher aspect of this world than to walk with our God. God does not want us to be corruptible and dying with the world. God wants us holy. He wants us set apart, and he wants us to be just like him. He wants us to live with him one day eternally, and he wants us to live in full expectation and joyful hope of the salvation that is to come, and he set us apart for a purpose, and he calls us to live differently to make a difference. This isn't just about us, by the way. And this is what, again, is so great about our God. He says, I want you to pursue these things, not so that your life is going to be great and perfect, but so that you can also bring other people to the knowledge of God as well. So that people will see Christ in you and they'll be drawn to God themselves. We must keep that end goal in mind here that God will use our own testimonies of holiness to point others to himself. And it's an honor that God would use our pursuit of a set-apart life in order to make a difference. Think about that. That God would use your pursuits to, to, to just run after God, that he would use that to lead someone else to him. I mean, that is just, that's so humbling to think about it. 
It's humbling to think that God could use your testimony so that someone else would come to know him. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. We really appreciate you joining in. You know, if today's sermon was a help to you, we'd ask that you maybe take a moment and just give us a quick rating on iTunes or Spotify or wherever it is that you're listening. That really does help get the word out and for other people to find our content as well as connect into the word of God, which is really the most important thing to us. As well, we encourage you to, if you want any more information about City Baptist in Vancouver, you can check out our website at citybaptist.ca or follow us on social media through Facebook and Instagram. Our prayer is that you would continue to walk and grow with Christ. And we love you and we pray for you and we hope that you have a great rest of your day.